It's been a while. It's been about a month. Welcome back to the Bad Signal Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Fallon. As always, John from Scranton behind the scenes producing a all-star show. What's up, guys? It has been, yeah, a minute, but it's Super Bowl week, and we're kind of back, and we're refreshed, and I'm a little disappointed just in the world of things and COVID situations has really put a damper on the sports world because Super Bowl week has always been a bright, shining star for everyone in the media, and with that... I want to bring in one of my friends who I always have a good time at the Super Bowl with, Taylor Bashotti, NFL Network. How's it going? I, are you sad right now? Do you? I am. I, I'm definitely having some FOMO from not being there. But at the same time, it just does not look like it's like a typical, normal, standard Super Bowl where all week long there's so many activities. Radio Row is bumping every day. It's just not It's not like that this year. So I, as much as I do miss it, I uh, I couldn't imagine going and feeling like it was anything similar to what we've been experiencing in the past. It's funny because there's obviously one or two people in the media that get sent from their companies. And Ben Bolin of the Boston Globe got sent down there and he tweeted out on Monday or Tuesday, he said, I'm here at the Super Bowl, signs everywhere, restaurants are packed, live music's mask optional. Really? Absolutely bizarro world. Oh, wow. I would not have well, predicted that. It, I, well, you can predict that because this is the state of Florida, Florida and Ron DeSantis <laughs> opening up the state. I, I've heard a couple sides of things. I've heard people say, at least in my friends in Miami, I said, are, is, are people getting sick everywhere? And he said, no, it's normal. It's just as normal as our life in New England, your life in Los Angeles. You, you take care of yourself and you're fine. It, you, you're not going to put yourself in harm's way and, you know, subject yourself to COVID by being unsafe or being silly. But I would just be so hesitant. I almost think for people in the media or people like us, if you got an invite to go to the Super Bowl, would you go? I wouldn't. I don't know. I don't know. It'd be, it'd be tough. It'd depend on if you were doing work from there, honestly, but to just fly in for the game, I just, I, I don't know. I think it'd be kind of pointless. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to the Super Bowl just for the strict reason of getting judged. Like if I went to the Super Bowl and I had a purpose again, all power to me, I would be full strength into the Super Bowl, that whole situation. If I went to the Super Bowl and I had nothing to do and I was just at this super spreader event, I feel like so many people would be scratching their heads and (laughs) Again, there is nothing like Radio Row, um, you know, all of the events. All the events, the parties, the, like, throughout the day, there's even, like, you know, little Madden tournaments. There's there's so many different things that you can do, and none of that is really in full force right now. So I do think that it, even though it is similar, because I guess it's in Florida, I still think it's, I think still think it's pretty different. <sighs> well, let's get to the game. The biggest headline and the biggest story going into this weekend. I feel like there are so many storylines that have been brought to the forefront. Brady versus Mahomes, matchup of a lifetime. Is Brady going to retire? Bucks playing in their own home stadium. Uh, the Chiefs offense, how prolific is it? The weather. Yeah. But there are so many storylines that have kind of been the byline, the second, you know, the second side. We, we're going to get to all of that. We've got a list. We're going to go through. We're going to run everything back. I know. I love the questions that we sent over. Let's start this off. Patrick Mahomes 
facing Tom Brady. Patrick Mahomes was six and a half when Brady played in his first Super Bowl. Oh, we've all seen the photos of young Pat Mahomes and Brady throughout the years. And Brady somehow, somehow, Taylor, uh, looking younger than he's ever been in his life. And he I think is the definition of Benjamin Button. The, the photos that are coming out of all these like Zoom streams, he really turned the page back to the fountain of youth, uh, to say the least. But this is their fifth meeting together. Braden is 24th season. Mahomes in his fourth. The first question I have for you, Patrick Mahomes, if he loses this game, will he ever catch Brady in in all of the things legacy, in all of the things retrospective of their careers? True or false? I don't think it's indicative on this one game, so I'm going to say false. I think that if Tom Brady wins this game, Patrick Mahomes can easily still come and shatter his records. We've seen him be probably the most prolific young player, young quarterback that there is currently. So, yes, I think that Tom could still win this game and Patrick could come back and still beat his records. I'm just, um, I I think, I think the answer is he will never catch him. And this is why, (laughs) and this is why, um, Tom Brady is 43 years old. You can put them head to head, Patrick Mahomes, given the weapons that he has, you have to go back just in, in Patriots folklore. Tom wasn't so perfect as a quarterback, so to speak. He was still learning the offense. He was still acquiescing to, Um, the NFL game, the speed of the game. And a lot of those early dynasty teams, 01, 03, 04 championships were really dependent on the defense. And of course it was at the helm. It was Brady and Belichick, but they were very defensive minded teams back in the day. Um, And really when you're getting into that, that second decade of Brady and 2011, uh, 2014, this is when Brady really, turned the page and made himself into the uh, coach on the field, prolific passer, just just the Brady that we see today. So see, I, I, I agree 100%. And I do think that those early teams that Brady were on were completely defensive. But I think that that goes to credit Patrick Mahomes more because of the offense that he has and the way that he has. He says yeah. a couple of years ago, he's like, I feel like I have just scratched the surface in terms of like how much I'm learning. He's like, my first couple of years, which is utterly impressive because he was so successful his first couple of years, but he's like, yeah, I didn't even know what I was doing out there. You know, like I didn't even know how to really catch up to the speed of the game and every year I'm learning more. So if he's in his you know fourth year and he's learning this much more, that's scary. It's, it's no lie that, that he plays a game and the style of the way that he plays on the field. Um, it, it's almost like if you're going and having a foot race with Tyreek Hill, he's going to give you 40 yards and then he's just going to race past you. Pat Mahomes, when he's in the pocket, he's going to step back and he's going to give you 20 yards for you to come and chase him down. And then he's going to run over you. Making a miraculous pass on the fly. Oh, going exactly. out of bounds in mid tackle. Doesn't matter. I, I don't, I don't think that we're taking away anything from the greatness of this young and up and coming uh, superstar generational talent for the quarterback that he is, but he's never going to win seven rings because uh, you know, you have to wonder if he wins this, if he wins this year, it'd be his second. If he wins this year, it's going to be his second. And he's 25. Uh, well, yeah. So he'll have two Super Bowls, 25 years old. He's, uh, you know, I, I understand that, but he, he's never going to, he's never going to beat, you know, he's going to have five, you have to have 
four more rings than Brady. He has to have 192 wins to beat Brady. He is three Super Bowl MVPs behind Brady. Um, and, and Tom's been to 10 Super Bowl Super Bowls. And to, to the point that if Brady beats Pat Mahomes right now, I just, I just don't think that you know. I mean, this is their second time playing in the in the postseason in the last three years, and the fact that he's switched teams and done it with another team is remarkable. He's already beat Patrick Mahomes in the postseason, and if he does it again, I, you know, I mean, it's 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 you can't compare yourself to that. And and in Brady's perspective, if he's forty three and he's gotten to the point where he's beaten Patrick Mahomes twice in his prime, the young kid, he can retire right there and says, what else is there for me to do? Hopefully that he does that. So he doesn't spoil. I'm not saying that we can't see them in the Super Bowl the next year, but I just don't think that there is going to be an argument regardless of anything. Cause he's not going to catch him. Um, and Brady is still going to cement his legacy as the greatest of all time. We shall see only time okay. will tell. Do you have the next? What's the next yes, question? Yes, I do. Should Bill Belichick have expected the type of success for Tom Brady in Tampa? Yes, he should have. I think everyone needs to know in the grand scheme of things that the reason Bill Belichick and Tom Brady did not come, I mean, came to an impasse and separated was not because they disliked each other, was not because they had philosophical differences. Uh, yeah, sure that they played in the same building for the last 20 years. It came down to money. Okay. I, it came down to the I'm lack. Gonna, I'm going to push back on that, but let's it finish. came down to the lack of respect that Belichick had for Brady to say that he could play until he's 45. Belichick thought he was fucking crazy, and 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 he didn't want to pay him that much money for that long to watch an aging quarterback, and and that's why he left. But uh, for for Belichick to overlook Tom Brady and the skills that he has because he still had it in him. He shouldn't be surprised that when he goes to a team with this many weapons around them and that great of a defense, that he's going to have success, period. End of story. Okay, let me let me give you my take on this. So I think that Belichick and Brady had had their philosophical differences for a while. I do think that Brady felt like he was not respected in Boston. I feel like, you know, he thought that Bill certainly thought that he could go and get a Super Bowl and continue winning without Brady. And Brady's thinking, no, I'm, I'm a key part of this offense. Most importantly, I think that Brady looked at the team that he had and he played with them that year before. And he thought, you know what? I am, I am still playing at my prime, or at least I'm good enough to go in there and get another ring. So why am I going to put myself in a situation where I'm going to be back in Boston with the same teammates around me? There was nothing for him on offense. No. There were no weapons on offense. He had no offensive line. So what he did is he sat there and he hand selected the team that not only had an offense that it's firing on all cylinders, they've got running back, they've got tight end, they've got receivers, they've got so much protection around Brady in, in terms of the offensive line. So he thought, okay, what better situation could I go into and where can I get another ring? The best place for me to go get another ring is a team just like Tampa Bay. So yeah. I think that despite you know Brady and Belichick's philosophical difference, I think that he would have been able to get over that had they built a team around him that was going to be successful to continue winning. Yeah. And, and, and everything in new England is getting stale. Um, the, the sentiment up here is what happens next and what the you gotta, fuck you gotta rebuild, you know, yeah, you gotta rebuild. Well, Belichick didn't go to the pro. He didn't go to the senior bowl. He's on vacation with his girlfriend, Linda. And is he really paying attention? He lost his uh, director of player personnel and Nick Casario. There's a lot of questions here in new England about, 
would you be happy if? And a lot of the answers are no. And I mean, he had his dog, Nike, draft his team this year. We all saw that. That's when you knew there was a red flag. In, in, in Nike, we trust. I, I just think so, you know, so you agree. You think that, you know, Belichick should have expected the type of success in, in, for Brady and Tampa. Yeah, I think, we I think agree that when, when Brady decided to go to Tampa, I think you're looking at arguably the best quarterback of all time going and putting himself, inserting himself in an offense where he's destined to succeed with all yeah. the protection in the world, all the weapons around him. And then obviously they had a lot of money, a lot of capital. He got Antonio Brown in there. He got Rob Gronkowski in there. He was able to get some key pieces that he wanted. And then obviously they have a very strong defense. So he knew exactly what he was doing. And yeah. I would do the same thing. I'm not going to waste my last couple of years frustrated in a system where I feel like the coach doesn't respect me and not on a team where I feel like I can get another ring. Yeah. And, um, and, and not only that, but J Jason Light, the general manager of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers came from the Belichick coaching tree. So yeah. uh, if, if it's not one, it's the other. Yeah. And, but I think that both of them, I, it's, it's a, it's a big, I told you so. And Belichick right now. Yeah. He's, he's stuck in the mud. All right, Taylor, would the Patriots be in the Super Bowl if Tom was still in New England? No way. I feel like we just answered this question just because we were talking about it. But no, the, the team that the Patriots have right now, they just don't have the weapons around them to make it happen. It's the same thing. I think it would have been the exact same story as last year for the Patriots where Tom yeah. was frustrated. He had no weapons. I mean, it was just, it wasn't good. The Patriots are on the verge of being worse next year than they were this year. I can't believe I just heard those words come out of your mouth. <laughs> they are going to be worse. They are going to be worse next year than they are now because of Deshaun Watson's probability to go to the Jets, the second in line of the destination of where he wants to go, the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. Josh Allen is going to be a top two candidate for MVP. What are the it. Patriots? I love Josh Allen. I love the Bills. That whole story is fantastic. I'm glad that they're on the on the rise. I really love the way that they um, that Bill, Brandon Bean has put that team mm -hmm. together. You know, just the passion of that fan base, Kim Pagula coming together. Um, just a really, I feel like it's very it's very team oriented, franchise first place. And when you got a guy like Brian Dable, who won three Super Bowl rings with the New England Patriots, he's the guy that's calling plays. I'm telling you, Brian Dable returning to the Bills is one of the scariest thoughts in the entire NFL offseason. The fact that he's going to have his play caller yeah. working with Josh Allen once again, um, they're going to destroy it, it, so many offenses. It's passes. always funny to see like which coaches and which personnel leave the Patriots and then come back when they, when they aren't successful somewhere else. Oh, I think yeah. Matt Patricia already announced, right? He's coming back. What are your thoughts on Matt Patricia, I guess? Well, he's coming back to the Patriots, right? Yeah. No, I know. I mean, but you just you just mentioned it. It's kind yeah. of like you know, they come back with their tail between their legs, and it's already hurting them. Yeah. It's not a happy place for people to say, hey, Tom Brady was in New England. I want to go play for Tom Brady. Because I know that Seth Wickersham and some of the uh, national media members, I believe it's SI or, yes, I think it was SI. They did an article about, um, you know, some of these former players and these kind of nobodies, middle of the road guys that willingly went to New England because they wanted, they all said because they wanted to play for Tom Brady. It wasn't and Bill Belichick. Gone. Yeah. Why did they want to go to play for a Bill Belichick led defense led by his son? Total nepotism there. 
And then you're bringing back a, a guy that got, you know, booted out of Detroit the way that he well, I don't did. Think that, I don't think that you could think about it like that because Matt Patricia was such a hot, hot coach to hire. He was such a hot coaching candidate coming out of Bill Belichick's, you know, system. Yeah. I think that a lot of times you're the best that you can be in certain systems and maybe it wasn't time for him to be a head coach. I still think he's one of the great defensive minds. Mm -hmm. No, I, I think he's a great defensive mind. I think sometimes when you, you get overwhelmed, um, yeah. when you're, when you're uh, presented with unifying a locker room and maintaining relationships, especially and I think a lot, like you just said, like it's a lot of personality based to be a head coach takes another skill set on top of just being like, you know, a master play caller, you have to be a leader of men and you have to connect with your players and you have to relate to them on a personal level yeah. and make them want to play for you and make them respect you and make them want to work hard for you. And that's a skill set that unfortunately some people don't have. So yeah. whether or not he's got the skills to be a head coach or a defensive coordinator is very different than like relating to your players and making your players want to play for you. Number four, number four, Brady should retire if he wins on Sunday. I think he's going to play until he's 47. Wait, this is no, you. No, right? Brady should retire if he wins on Sunday. Um, no. I, I think that a lot of people think that he should. Again, and I have this whole theory of just watching him during Super Bowl week, and obviously this is a very different week normally than we've seen ever. Uh, the Zoom meetings, it's very quiet, but the way that Tom is marveling at his face and how young he is and the youth revitalized and all of the headlines. I don't think there is any way in hell that he's not going to play next year. I mean, why, why would he not play next year when he is having exactly a career year? He does have he, all the protection. He's never been in a better system that would be set up, set up for success. There's no reason for him to not play. He's loving Taylor, it. The, the numbers speak for itself. 40 the touchdown Brady, passes. The Tom Brady in a dink and dunk offense in 2019 flailed out the way that they did embarrassingly losing in week 17 to the Miami Dolphins and then literally being pissed on by the Tennessee Titans. And they walked out of that season and, oh, Brady's arm strength and he doesn't got it and he's old. He goes to this offense. And, of course, Bruce Arians, you know, firepower offense. He likes to take a lot of chances. Tom Brady throws 40 touchdowns. He is number one in the league in passing over 20 yards. And he has the highest percentage of, like, risk aversion passes. Uh, there's a percentage stat about uh, throwing risky passes. He leads the league. Uh, his arm strength has gotten better and stronger and stronger. Uh, and not only that, but tied to his whole business extension of TB12, it's the fountain of youth. He's fountain not going to retire anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, he's sele hand-selected his teammates. He's hand-selected quite a bit. There'd be no reason for him to retire. He, he picked out the situation perfectly. Yeah, I, I just, I always said, I'm, I think, that's my theory, as you read my notes, I think that he's going to play until he's 47, and I think he's going to win eight rings. So I think he's going to win on Sunday, and he's going to win one more at that wow. point. He's that's gonna a bold statement. Yeah, he's going to play until he has a shitty year, until he realizes, hey, I really can't play anymore. I, I just, I, I don't, I just can't see it happening. A lot of people want him to retire, but it's not. All right. Question number five. Do either of Bill or Tom's legacies tip the scales of each other? Does one earn more credit, credit to another? And this goes on the heels of former Patriots wide receiver Danny Amendola coming out foolishly, foolishly no. making the statement 
on the morning shows for Fox Sports 1 saying, when you look up the Patriot way in the dictionary, you're going to have Tom's face on there. Those coaches weren't catching passes. Those coaches weren't throwing passes. They weren't making clutch plays in the postseason. And there's Tom something to be said for that. Put rings that's on their his teammate. Like, that's his teammate. There's something to be said that when you're a player, you relate to players on that, like, personal level, like, more so because they're more relatable. You're out there on the field with them. They're out there making the plays. Like, that's Yo, his quarterback. So do, you, that's his do, you agree, do you agree with Danny? Like, I mean, I think that that was I think that they were together. I think that it was. I think it was a team effort. I don't think that you can say it was one or the other. Of course, now that Tom this year has made it to the Super Bowl, I think that people are going to overlook the fact that he did hand select this team. He did pluck himself and insert himself into the perfect situation, which as everybody should have, yeah. he was smart to do that. But I don't think that you can sit there and look at all of the past and look at those six rings and say, no, like this was only one or the other. It wasn't one or the other. It was them two together and they yeah. built that team, but it does go to show that it wasn't just the Belichick way. And that's what Tom Brady wanted to go out and prove. It wasn't just, you know, this isn't just Bill Belichick and I'm not a system player. Like I'm not a plug and insert like what he's done in the past yeah um I, I again as I'm just kind of reinstating that Belichick I think made the foolish assumption that quarterbacks don't mean anything this year and yeah. picked up a guy after 86 days that no one wanted in Cam Newton and took a risk on someone and paid him very low salary and I listen Cam Newton was great Monday through Saturday on Sundays he disappointed everyone and, um, I, you know, that in that point, I think Bill wanted to, A, stick to a veteran to show that, hey, with other veterans in the coming years, they're, you know, hey, he was loyal to one guy. But he also wanted to prove that Tom was a system quarterback and he could do it He's without not. him. And he was wrong. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the mutual respect between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick goes very far, whether or not – I, I think it's really sincere in Tom's perspective. But I think that if you were to have inserted Brady back into that Patriots team this year, the same outcome would have happened. Oh, no, I know. There's and just I'm no saying. weapons around either of those quarterbacks, either yeah. Cam nor Brady. Yeah. And in, in terms of in terms of just where Brady stands right now, I think he's smiling because he knows that his legacy has already taken, mm -hmm. uh, you know, tipping the cap. He's winning right. at right now. And, and he's going to keep smiling to the point where he does is he's going to give the credit where credit is due because the, you know, uh, the guy on the other side of the ball, he's got a lot of work to catch up and you know, that's kind of where it stands right now. Yeah. Is Bruce Arians the right guy or just the right now guy? Um, I think he's the right now guy. I think that there's been a lot of quarterbacks. I'm thinking John Fox is someone that comes to mind that had a very laid back style um, of coaching and whether or not that talent shown through and that's how they got through. I'm not saying that you have to have a disciplinarian like there is up there in new England to win super bowls, but, uh, Bruce Arians had a lot of trouble wrangling in that offense and that locker room early in the season. And there was a lot of trouble, especially, um, you know, with Antonio Brown coming in, I feel like he kind of lost control and that's when Tom really stepped up and, and really kind of just led, led the team in a leadership role. And but it Arians, was Tom who wanted Antonio Brown. Well, no, exa no, exactly. It was Arians. Arians was pretty quick to, Blame Brady for a lot of things that were wrong with the team early on, especially when it came to the offense, because he's supposed to be the offensive guy. 
And now what happens in the postseason when they're finally working well? And I think that this has a lot to do in conjunction with uh, what Todd Bowles is doing with that defense and all of their, uh, you know, uh, all of their side coaches and, you know, the defensive coordinator, special teams. I think that a lot more credit needs to be held on the shoulders of the assistant coaches versus the head coach. And I don't know. I'm not sold on Bruce Arians. I just, I don't like the way that he threw him under the bus and now he's, now he's trying to come back and, and be better. I think that it's tough when you don't have any off-season workouts. You don't have that much time. There are a lot of different personalities that are coming onto this team, into this team. You've got a whole new quarterback. And I think that what they were able to accomplish was pretty impressive without having all those practices before the season started. And it's not how well you play week three or week four. Those are just growing pains. And it's how, how well you finish. And they finish the season getting better each and every game. They had a few, you know, big losses where you're thinking, gosh, the Bucs are just not what everybody thought that they were going to be, especially against the New Orleans Saints. But I think that ultimately those were growing pains that they got through. And again, it doesn't really matter what you did week three, week four. It matters what you do week 17 and then in the postseason. And they've proven to get better and make it, like get stronger through each and every one of those growing pains. So I do think that Bruce Arians has given a lot of credit. And I think the way that he's been able to handle all those different personalities coming onto the team together and give some of the reins and let Tom call a lot of the plays on offense that he wants. And I think that is why he kind of, you know, would call Tom Brady out. Like, look, I didn't call that play. Like that was Tom on the field calling that play. I'm not going to sit there and like answer that question because it wasn't my play. You know, that was, that was Tom's decision. (laughs) Next question. Number seven, should anyone be comparing Travis Kelsey to Rob Gronkowski? They're both hall of famers in their own rights. Correct. Correct. Yeah. hundred percent. I do think that, you know, it's only natural that you want to compare the two of the greatest tight ends of all time to each other. Um, but they play, their style of play is really different. And I think that if anything, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, they're all emulating what Rob Gronkowski and Tony Gonzalez have done. So I think that it's only natural to want to compare those two, those two like players, especially when they're playing each other. I couldn't agree more. And, and I think we've had this conversation. I had the first podcast I ever did back in, Fox and Fallon days. This was like a year and a half ago. We had this whole debate about is Rob Gronkowski a first ballot Hall of Famer? Yes. Absolutely. Is he not not having the best season, you know, of of his life the first year out of retirement? Sure. But the numbers speak for itself. And I also (laughs) believe that, as you said, this is all trickling down from a style of play that uh, Rob Gronkowski emulated from guys like Tony Gonzalez and Antonio Gates. And we owe all the credit to the boom of the offensive tight end and what that means to an offense because of those two guys. And Rob Gronkowski in 2011 was the first tight end to have a 1300 receiving yard season. I mean, 1,300 receiving yards. Travis Kelsey this year, 1,400 receiving yards. They're both fantastic in their own rights, playing with quarterbacks that are in their prime. I, I, I don't think Travis Kelsey isn't. The difference is that Travis Kelsey's in his prime right now. Rob Gronkowski. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. Rob Gronkowski in 2011 was in his prime. Totally. He was playing with, you know, so I, I just, uh, putting those two numbers together and just, I, I almost feel like there should, don't you think there should be like an inflation rate? For uh, you know, how I do because especially because of how offenses are going now. Yeah, they're not running the ball nearly as much. All they are is just slinging the ball down the field. If you look at like the passing percentages, it's through the roof in the last ten years. We've seen the game change entirely. One of the main keys for the Tampa Bay Bucks is. Well, 
they're secondary. And if, yeah. if they're able to, to rally and you got to remember Tyreek Hill. Um, oh, is he fast? Uh, yeah. Is he fast? I think he's fast. <laughs> He, he had 269 receiving yards the last time that he played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it brings us to our next and question. just kind of like, and how on earth are you supposed to stop him when every other player on offense is that explosive? I that feel like Kansas I'm, City Chiefs offense is just so stacked. Every single like, player, you need to have somebody on them. I feel like time stops when each of those guys are running. Not only not only Tyreek Hill, but Mecole Hardman. I feel like Oh, Mecole, he made him go to Georgia. Go dogs. <laughs> He's just a step back. He's in his second year, and I know that he's not having the best year. He had one bad play. It broke my heart for him in that playoff game, but then he bounced back and made up for it that following that yeah, following that drive. Homer Boss fumbling of punt return, oh. and you saw how upset he was. No, Mahomes wouldn't lift him up. He's like, it's all good. Uh, the, question, the question that I had with number eight was true or false? There was a massive talent gap between Bucks receivers and Chiefs receivers. Um, that is true. false. I disagree. Okay. Solid. I think that, God, there's so many weapons on both of these two offenses that it's hard to compare, but no, who who do you think has better receivers? You think that? Uh, I I think the Chiefs have better. I think the Chiefs, um, just in terms of their depth and and talent, uh, talent itself. I am really worried. I have am rooting for the Bucks on Sunday, but I'm really concerned about the way that the Bucks, the Bucks secondary is going to rally in, play man to man on, on Tyreek Hill and boxing, boxing both him and Kelsey out. Because I think that I, I, I don't, the last time that they played each other, they're just the, the speed factor to me is that's what the issue. Out. Yeah. And that's the issue is that there's from- every single one of those chiefs players, the chiefs do a great job of integrating every single one of them, whether or not they are, you know, top receivers, it doesn't really matter because Patrick Mahomes is able to stay in the pocket and scramble around and run around and still make a, like a, dagger of a pass yep. to whoever yeah. he wants. So he's got, you know, a good 30 seconds back there where he's just running in the sand, it looks like. Yeah. Having fun. I, I you know, and, and in terms of the Bucks receivers, listen, I'm not I'm not discrediting any of those guys. Mike Evans, seven straight yeah. seasons of a thousand yards or more. Uh I don't I don't think that's a coincidence, especially given his um selection of quarterbacks that he's done that against and Chris Godwin averaging 70 more yards per game than anyone else in that Tampa squad. He might have the thing. I think that the bucks receivers are like more like high profile. Like, you know, they, they've broken more records, but it's just the fact that there are so many on the chiefs that that can do this. I, 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 yeah, I mean, but I just think in terms of talent and I'm I'm just, I'm thinking the speed factor. Every time I look at Hill running on the, on the field, I feel like, um, scary. I feel like I'm in Houston. Um, you know, I'm 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 sipping on some lean. It's like the world is slow down. Number nine, better linebackers, Bucks or Chiefs? I think this is an easy one. It's the Bucks, no doubt. Um, I think that also too, the biggest matchup of the Super Bowl is going to start with that defensive line and how much pressure they can put on the edge and get through to Patrick Mahomes to penetrate the pocket. And uh, you got to take into consideration that the Kansas City Chiefs have lost not one, but two all-pro tackles. And Eric Fisher lost for the year, I believe, with an Achilles injury last, last um, the last game. And they've been without Mitchell Schwartz was their Which other all-pro offensive yeah. tackles. So getting pressure not only from JPP and Vita Vea, who is just a monster. I have no idea. He broke his ankle like a month ago. <laughs> and now he's back on the field. But a kid like Devin White, 
who's having a, a rookie season, possibly defensive player of the year. And additionally to that, I know Levante David has been um, has been injured um, as of late. I know that's he's been limited in practice all week. But uh, Shaq Barrett, JPP, Shaq Barrett has a 30 and a half sacks since 2019. Um, their pressure rate is 14% of the plays. Uh, I think that they're just going to be jamming down their throat. Um, and I think that the talent is really going to shine on the Bucks side of the ball. I'm going to agree with you on that one. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Moving on. Moving on. Who scores more points before the fourth quarter? This is a tough one. Gosh, this usually is- I would say, actually, I'm going to stick with, I'm going to go Chiefs. You're going to go Chiefs? I'm going to go Chiefs. Uh, you know, and I, I, I really believe this, and I believe this strongly. Whoever has the ball last is going to win the game. And yeah. um, all, all factors of weather aside, I was super I'm I'm going to be super impressed by the way that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to adjust to this game and if it is a weather, you know, inclement weather game, I think uh Leonard Fournette is going to have a massive game. So, yeah. you know, uh, but I I mean, what are they going to be they're going to be running the ball all the way down the field? No. Explain why why do you think Kansas City is going to be in the advantage? I think that they're way more used to playing in freezing cold games. They thrive in snow games. You heard Patrick Mahomes on his mic'd up moment. He's like, I love snow games. Well, no, they're, playing Tampa, they're playing well, in Tampa, though. If you're saying if it's going to be inclement weather, it's going to be cold. It's going to be, like, rainy. They it's going to be rainy in, like, 65 degrees. What are you talking? What do you mean? They're going to have it's, it's it's a wet be ball. Like a, a floor of Florida rain. It's a Who wet knows? ball. Uh, yeah, I don't, it's, uh, you know, they better, they, they, that, that field crew, more pressure is going to be on that field crew than anyone else. Yeah. All right. Moving on the pirate <laughs> ship. It should be removed in Tampa. It is a uh, home field advantage. No way it should be removed. Off. If you're the home team and you make it to the Super Bowl, don't remove your pirate ship. <laughs> Have you ever been, I've been on the pirate ship. I did a live shot on the pirate ship I think at I NFL remember Network this. when I was down there covering I think it. I remember this. Yeah. 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 Um, Kay Adams, pirate ship. She, she, she was like, yeah, Courtney, you're not going to go on that pirate ship. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go on that pirate ship. I'm going to take hella selfies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send them your way. How sad are you? They're not going to have the cannons. They're not I know. Shoot off. I know. Why? I don't understand why. I don't really understand that either, but I'm because not, it's not a home game. I think they should shoot cannons ever for every score. I do too. Why not? Run I out of feel. fireworks. Because it's not fair because the other team would have got, like, if it wasn't the Bucks in there, then they would have probably done the cannons. Yeah. Yeah. I, the last, the, the, one of the last questions I have for you, and I, I'm just going to kind of toss my offseason hot take. And I really, I was very intrigued to get your opinion on this because I am so you, opinionated on this. You are, you are, uh, you know, kind of the go to girl covering the LA Chargers, a lot more of the Chargers than the Rams. However, in the same building, oh, yeah. the NFL Network is moving to that same building at SoFi Stadium, whether this year, next year, whenever it happens. But my offseason hot take, and I'm a big Matthew Stafford fan. And the, the the slander for Matthew Stafford in New England right now is disgusting. And I, I'm like actually disgusted to turn on my radio and hear Matthew Stafford is a horrible loser quarterback. Matthew Stafford has a tremendous arm. He has, I mean, yeah, garbage time numbers. I mean, look what they've given him in Detroit. My offseason hot take, Matthew Stafford is going to take the Rams. I think he is one of the best quarterbacks in that division. And he's going to take the Rams deep into a postseason run. What are your thoughts, Ms. Taylor? Well, the 
the Rams are certainly banking on that. They paid enough for that to happen. I think that the Rams have a team that where they feel like they hit their ceiling with Jared Goff. I think that that was made evident when Sean McVay decided to bench Goff, even though he did just come off a thumb surgery. His thumb was fine. He went in the game and played, but he still made the decision before that to bench Goff and play John Wolford. That was like the defining statement. And like, I felt like Jared Goff's fate was kind of like sealed at that moment because yeah, and, and I, I feel like in a playoff game wants to play John Wolford yeah, rather than yeah. his franchise supposed franchise quarterback. Yeah, so I think really... that there was just bad blood between both of them at that point. They were both unhappy with each other. They both needed marriage counseling if they were going to go on. But I do think that the Rams gave up an awful lot to get rid of Jared Goff because let's just make this perfectly clear. They did not give up all of that to get Matthew Stafford. They gave up all of that to get rid of Jared Goff and get his contract basically somewhat off their books and then come in with a quarterback that they do think could get the job done because they do have Aaron Donald right now. They have paid for all these big name weapons. And so they obviously feel like they've got a team that can make it to the Super Bowl, but they don't have the quarterback in place to do it. So they wanted to get rid of Goff because I think the McVay, who is a big quarterback guru, thought, you know what? Like I've done everything that I can and I've hit my peak with Jared Goff and there's really no room for improvement all that being said i don't think that that's necessarily fair to jared goff i think that he does have a bright future i think he is a good quarterback i think he needs to obviously be better with ball security and holding on to the ball more but i think that towards the end once your confidence is shattered in a certain place and i think that his confidence started getting affected in la because when your head coach in essence your boss doesn't believe in you and you can feel that and you can feel that tension and you can feel that frustration it is going to affect every other aspect of your game. So if he's going to the Lions and he's going to a team that really believes in him mm-hmm. and is willing to, you know, work with him and put him in a position to succeed, it's going to make all the difference for him. So I hope that both teams are better off for it. I think my one thought on Detroit and I wasn't so thrilled about the Dan Campbell's hire, even though, mm-hmm. you know, he has surrounded himself with a lot more experienced coaches, which I think is uh, the smartest thing that he could do. I know that Chris Spielman, the Spielman brothers are. Uh, I'm a big fan of delegating. <laughs> yeah, no, they're they're at the helm. I think that there are some smart people around there. I'm just not a big Dan Campbell guy because I watched him take over for the Miami Dolphins. And yeah, he was a hype man, but I'm not really so in, enthused about the way that raw, he, raw, that he yelling at you. Yeah, not my thing and, you know, they, they play better. And, and then, I mean, you saw what happened to Raheem Morris with the Falcons. I mean, the amount of lo- money that I lost on the Falcons this year was was exorbitant and I won't tell you but uh however I do think that um you know given that Detroit is in a rebuilding phase and hey they're always in the top five to go get some picks so I think that that system and that franchise they are looking for a new identity and a new culture and with Jared Goff in there I think he's gonna buy in big time and Mm -hmm. on the other hand with the Rams and I just kind of wanted to go by what you were saying about Um, giving up too much. Here's the thing. If you're a team that is constantly going deep into the postseason, first round picks don't really matter. Uh, You're always picking at the end of the first round and you're wheeling and dealing on those second round picks and you're getting your big blue chip guys. So you're really just finding those complimentary players 
that you're going to put the team around. So I, as if you're a Rams fan, but Matthew Stafford is an older quarterback. You're giving up two first round picks for a quarterback who's older. Unless look, unless they make it to the Super Bowl in the next two or three years, it will, it will go down in history as a bad trade. That's just, that's just a matter of fact. Like jobs will be lost because they just gambled their future on this trade. And whether or not it's going to be the right decision or the wrong decision, it's impossible to know. Are they going to make yeah. it to the Super Bowl in the next three years? That's the only thing that's going to be able to tell us if it was the right or wrong decision. Yeah. I I, I just um, I see a bright future, especially that pairing of Matthew Stafford. And actually, even though he did have a lot of really great wide receivers, Mar- Marvin Jones, so underrated. Kenny Galladay, uh, terrific uh, red zone target, even though he was injured much this year. Um, going down to TJ Hawkinson. I mean, he had the weapons. So it's not like he's going to have a fall off of, you know, of, of talent that he's going to be surrounded by. But again, he's got good receivers surrounding him. The underrated trades of the off season. I think it's a tremendous trade. It's just given his connection to LA and Clayton Kershaw. And how many times have you heard that story? Like, oh hey, they went to school together. So um, <laughs> they grew up together. I, you know, I, I, I think Rams fans should be happy about about that I do too okay all right my last question to you as we finish off Taylor Bishotti NFL Network get tailored but when does that air the get tailored segment Thursdays Thursdays on total access or on NFL now and then sometimes today and and if NFL now is now is up to the minute and that's yeah NFL now what's the difference I I love there's one no. It's the exact same show. <laughs> God, I can't, I can't deal with the changes that they do over there. It's like, what are you doing? I don't get it. My last I'm question to you, fair. is Joe Flacco elite? Taylor? No, I'm going to have to say no. Oh, I think that he wow. has played an elite season. And I think that he, his play during his Super Bowl year is 1 million percent elite. Okay. Do I think that you could define his career as elite? I guess it depends. Does it, if you win a Super Bowl, are you technically elite? I don't know. It depends on how you classify elite. I think that you can classify his play during one season, the way that he went on the road during every single playoff game and was an underdog and destroyed teams. Nobody, nobody saw him coming with a team that was very good around him, but his, he alone played fantastic. Yeah. I don't think that his entire career would ever be classified as elite. Oh, you heard it here first. From my girl's mouth to your ear. I'm never going to take away the fact that he went and won a Super Bowl in a situation that nobody ever thought that was possible. Yeah. And he was a road warrior. Yeah. Um, like during the playoffs, nobody wanted to play him. What What are your thoughts on, I mean, as I love, I love the way that Ozzie Newsom has been able to rebuild that Ravens defense. And I mean, just, I, there's just, I feel like there is a standard of excellence that's on that defensive staff and the, the continuity of having John Harbaugh as, as feisty as he is. I mean, I just, I think that that's the perfect combination that I, I don't, I don't see going away for a long time and it kind of makes me happy that, you know, that they have that feeling of excellence down there in Baltimore. Couldn't agree more. And I think that that just, even the transition from Ozzy to Eric DaCosta has been seamless and Ozzy is still very heavily involved. Obviously Lamar Jackson was his last final, you know, major Mm -hmm. first round draft pick. Uh, But yeah, they have a great organization. And I think that Ozzy's continued involvement like speaks volumes to how 
how much of like a how much of an impact he makes on the organization how much they respect him and want him to always be a part of it taylor bishotti what is your super bowl prediction i need numbers i need figures what are you thinking <sighs> i'm gonna have to go chiefs oh what's i'm gonna go chiefs and i'm gonna go that they cover i will what's They're your favorite by three number i don't four. know what my numbers are but they Chiefs and cover. They win by over three. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to go Tampa 28, Chiefs 24. I, I, you know, I went a little higher with my numbers, and then I'm just thinking when was but the you last? you have to with these two teams. I go. I, so I had I had a 36 to 28 prediction originally, and I texted that to someone. They said, whoa, like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so, I hope that's the original number. I had to scale it back the next day and be like, whoa. Yeah. All right. So I, I have two numbers in mind. You know what? Like, this is my show. I'm going to put yeah, two you numbers. You can have as many numbers as you want. It's either, tw- it's it's either 30 or birthday. You can cry if you want to. I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to throw some money down on Tom. I don't, I just feel like there is no Tommy. way that he walks. I, you know what? And Tom, we trust. <laughs> if, we, if we can't trust Bill anymore, then hell, you better believe I'm going to believe in Tom. I love well, that. Taylor. Thank I'm excited to see you. I guess I know you. I'll have to come back on sometime. This was so fun. Thank you I for know. having this me. Was, this was super fun. I appreciate you. And now something completely different. I love this conversation just as much as I love my conversation with my former colleague at NFL Network, Taylor Bashadi. Josiah Johnson. This was sexy. It was dynamic. We got into the NFL. We got into black coaches not being hired. We got into LeBron. We got into courtside Karen. Um, if you don't know him, just listen to the interview. I'm telling you, you are going to be impressed. Joining me now on a special Super Bowl 55 week, the King Josiah Johnson. There are a couple of Josiah Johnsons out there, but in my heart and on Twitter, you are the funniest guy in NBA meme history. I mean, you have your own personal um, persona, so to speak, that is just nationally known. But I feel like to me, you're just my bro. Like, you, I feel like we've gotten so close over the years just through the onset of social media. King Josiah Johnson, what's up? How you doing? I'm doing great. I think I'm top two Josiah Johnson. There's me and then the, the lead singer, the head and the heart. So, but we're, and we actually crossed paths on social years ago. He like hit me on Facebook and told me I had a cool name. And now I went back and like, I still have that message. So got a ton of respect. If, you're, if your name is Josiah Johnson, you're destined to do legendary things. So I'm just happy to be able to carry the torch of other Josiahs. There is another Josiah that's in my family, actually. There is a Josiah Fallon. My cousin Michael in California, he named his son Josiah. And okay. I had never heard that name. It's it's biblical, right? Yes, it's in the Bible. It's, it, yeah. yeah, he was king when he was eight years old. So, you know, definitely got to show love. So obviously you're known for all of your Twitter memes. And uh, w- what happens when something big like courtside Karen, this 23-year-old absolute gold digger, goes after LeBron James barking at him on the, on courtside in, in the middle of a pandemic, mind you. Like, the fact that the Atlanta Hawks are allowing fans, I don't care how much money, clearly they paid like over the amount of money for normal tickets to be sitting there. When something like that goes off, like how fast do you know what's going on 
um, I, I feel like I get an alert from ESPN every once in a while. Like, what's the process of you kind of like digesting a meme and then throwing it out? Well, situations like that, uh, obviously I'm watching LeBron. I'm, I'm pretty much watching every Lakers game. So I saw it happen in real time. And uh, I was actually doing a show. We got a show called Out of Pocket that I do with uh, – on, on Bucket's Twitter handle with Wave TV. So we went live on the air, and we were on the air and kind of saw the thing break down, saw the fan get kicked out, didn't really think much of it. And then right when we went off, basically, is when all the videos started filtering in and everything started happening. And those moments for me on social are kind of like Christmas, basically. You know, there's there's a few key points that I can always trace back to, but, you know, to start Black History Month in Atlanta, obviously with the Hawks rocking MLK jerseys, they've always kind of showed love and paid tribute to, to MLK. So for LeBron to do that to really kick off Black History Month, I thought was a tremendous, amazing deal. You could just tell the arrogance, of, you know, pretension in the, in the fan and the video she was making, you know, insulting LeBron, insulting his family. And I'm just super thankful. And it's funny, I actually posted some on IG. I'm just super thankful that Savannah wasn't there because if Savannah was there, they would probably have to throw hands and it wouldn't end well for the the, the 25-year-old who's really probably closer to 45, 50. But, um, you know, in those moments, I'm just ready to go. I, I like to just be – I got such a, you know, arsenal of clips and stuff in my head that are always ready to go at any moment. So when, when those type of things pop up and you just see the frenzy in social in real time and just how you go to courtside, Karen becomes a trend and everybody starts throwing, throwing you know, their jokes out and getting their stuff in. Richard Jefferson, I think, went and liked all her photos those just a troller but just things like that start happening so it's kind of all hands on deck there's been a, a few major moments like that the last kind of big one I could think about was like when Kawhi went to the Clippers where it's literally like yeah. news breaks everybody stops what they're doing I was actually in Iowa with, with my wife uh staying at her parents house when it happened and it was probably like 11 o'clock at night when the news broke uh, on the east and I'm literally about to go to sleep news breaks I'm up for like four or five more hours after that just getting jokes off and just letting them fly so I enjoy those moments because I know they're going to be huge you know huge engagement everybody's kind of in it and now you know best joke wins so just go out there and get it speaking of Kawhi just a, a drop note like do you ever think that there's any player that changed the NBA the way that he went to the Clippers just completely backdoor uh you know won a championship I don't I, I don't think that anyone has has ever won a championship and then just walked away and dipped uh or I mean is it someone like KD that that changes the league like that I think when you think about Kawhi, I feel like he, you know, not, he was he was he was fine going to Toronto, but it was never going to be a long term deal. And I think Kawhi's smart. Obviously, I'm a LeBron Lakers guy, so I was looking forward to to that three headed monster and them just destroying the league and ruining the league and me being able to get these jokes off pretty much unencumbered for the next couple of years. But you know, when he made that move, I my pops played for the Clippers. I grew up as a lifelong Clippers fan. Obviously, LeBron trumps all that. So as soon as LeBron came to the Lakers, you know. It, it, it was time to move over to the purple and gold and just support the king. But I think, you know, quite doing that and just the chest flexing and all the billboards. I'm in L.A., so you see the billboards. You just saw, yeah. you know, the Clippers more or less crown themselves, uh, themselves paper champions and they end up getting the hands by the Nuggets, blowing a 3-1 lead. And that's when you just really let the jokes fly. It's at that point, if you're a Clippers fan, get off of Twitter for the next couple of days because the heat's coming. We've been waiting for it. Um, I, I, you know, I remember I like woke up, I took a nap and I woke up and I saw the memes of like the pictures of the Clippers. And I was like, wow, congrats to the Clippers for making it. And then all of a sudden, like, have you ever done that? That you just tweeted like, you're just like your brain's working backwards. Didn't even realize like uh, how much of an embarrassment. And I'm a big Doc Rivers guy. And I think that at least for right now, the way that the 76ers have taken over um, the East. I really think that they're the number one team that's going to challenge the Brooklyn Nets. 
I mean, and to say that I'm not surprised that the Celtics are not in this conversation, I'm absolutely not surprised. But do you think that Doc Rivers deserved to get fired? It's and believe me, I love Doc. When Doc played for the Clippers back in the day, my mom was his real estate agent. I got a ton of love for his family. He's a great dude. I, I used to go with her when she would drive him around on showings. You know, he was always a great dude and, and great to me. So love Doc. Love the way that he was able to re- revitalize and rebuild that Clippers franchise. But there comes a point. I would, you know, I remember 2015. I want to say they had the 3-1 lead on the Rockets and, you know, blew that. You know, it's just a situation where you have all this team, this, this firepower, you know, Kawhi and PG, and, along with the rest of the crew, you can't do that you can't have a 3-1 lead and lose I don't think you know he should have been fired but I understand the the organization's decision to make a, a move and just get a change of pace obviously Ty Lue a world championship winning coach when he when he coached LeBron with the Cavs and to see what Doc's doing in, in the east I think it's tremendous I think you know to your point the Sixers and the Nets will probably be in that spot I'm also a big Bucks guy they pay my pop so I got to show them love always <laughs> but uh you know I just think that the way the Sixers are playing and the team they've got Embiid's playing at an MVP level probably the MVP right now, you know, if, if you don't, if you kind of just throw out everything LeBron's doing, but I think that squad is going to be something to deal with, but you can't ever overlook the Nets with the, that three-headed monster they got with KD, Kyrie, and Harden. You know, everybody's getting their jokes off now. I'm a big, you know, advocate of doing that because I don't know how long they're going to last. The shelf life on these Nets jokes really isn't high, so you might as well get them now because that squad, once they get everything together, you're talking about three guys, you know, obviously Katie and Harding had played together before with OKC, but now three guys that have to learn how to play with each other, learn how to play with that one ball on the court. It's going to take a little while for them to all gel and get, get to that, you know, situation where they can really go out there and do it, but from what they're showing now, obviously I want to say they have the highest offensive rating and the lowest defensive rating. I don't know if those numbers have shifted a little bit but they're going to get buckets and this is a bucket heavy league and you know everybody likes to pretend that defense wins championships but I always joke and say I've never seen a team win a game with a score zero zero so you know at the end of the day you have to get some points and they can do that are you surprised that obviously Kyrie Irving one of the best ISO players in the league are you surprised by the way and his I'm not his reluctance but you know his willingness uh, you know to to gel towards you know that 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 three-headed monster in Brooklyn with Kevin Durant who's arguably having an MVP type season I mean you know it's it's still early but uh, the way that he's come back I mean I feel like he's come back even better after this Achilles injury and um, you know just just the way that that Kyrie has kind of um, do, do you feel like he's managing that team well I think, look, obviously Kyrie dipping, do whatever he did, kind of, and it's a pandemic, so I've had a a range of emotions throughout this pandemic. I totally think that's okay. You know, granted, Kyrie, in my book, I mean, he's big. He's, I mean, look what he did in Boston, like, you know, saging the garden, all that stuff, but, like, that aside, I I feel like anything that's involved in mental health um, should take a pass. Continue. You know, so, you know, you you see the guy wanted to take a break. People kind of gave him shit for it, got the jokes off. It is what it is but at the end of the day he's you know I think Kyrie was on the other side of that when KD joined the Warriors and kind of dealing with that in 2017 and having to you know place that you know play that squad that was literally just like the Monstars and I'm sure he figured I would never want to be in that situation again so the opportunity presents itself to go play with KD that's a no-brainer obviously KD is one of the greatest players in NBA history even coming off the bad you know the bad wheel with the Achilles injury he's playing at a level that's you know obscene that you would have never expect from somebody that's dealing with that type of injury we saw you know that that injury derailed Kobe's career towards the latter end of Mm -hmm. the stages of his career. It's it's a devastating injury. Generally, guys don't come back the same. But KD, if this is you, I'm just 
you know, scary thinking about what Katie would be like without this injury and the level he'd be playing at because he's playing like this. This dude is a problem. He's something that everybody needs to be worried about. And if I'm Kyrie, of course I want to go play with KD. And if I'm Kyrie and KD and Harden wants to get in the mix, of course I'm gonna bring Harden on. I think all those dudes, all those dudes have a chip on their shoulder. They kind of want. They look at LeBron as kind of obviously the elder statesman, the guy who's sitting on the throne, and they want they want that crown. So I respect it. Do I think they're gonna give the Lakers? Absolutely not. But that's the game. Yeah. It's like running up to a brick wall that's three times the size. It's, it's like no. it's like there's like American Ninja Warrior. You just look up once you reach the finals. It's like oh. Please let us all pray. Speaking well, of going back to the memes, and you're talking about a guy named like James Harden. Um, I just the way it's very comical the way that you you know he left Houston and you know how he just kind of demanded a trade and came over and you know obviously had something in the water in Houston with management and upper management down there. But it's is he kind of one of those guys that's like super easy? I'm not saying a target, but like is he how funny and how teasable is? is Harden, especially given his um, affinity for strip clubs. I think Harden, that's the whole thing. I never, I'll never like just, you know, blatantly try to take shots at guys. Anything that comes into the public space becomes public knowledge. Yes, I'll have fun with it. But Harden's a guy I got a tremendous amount of respect for. He's an L.A. dude. You know, what he did and the way he revitalized Houston. And, you, you know, you look at those squads, he really had those squads on the precipice of going to the finals and potentially winning a championship. They could just get it together. I'm thinking about, the, you know, the 0 for 27 three-pointer performance after they had the 3-2 lead. And just – you know, that's a guy who literally, you know, he kind of keeps himself, doesn't really start a lot of stuff. Obviously, the strip club thing, he's a grown man. Wherever he wants to throw his dollar bills, by all means, go throw them. But I just didn't understand. I was thinking that the Houston had been really, really good to him, kind of catered to him, got him Westbrook, got him CB3, and it kind of became a thing where, like, maybe all these guys aren't the problem. But we'll see what they'll be able to do. He's got a fresh start now in uh, Brooklyn. We'll see what he's be able to do. I'm always rooting for Harden, though. I think he's a great dude, and, and the limited experience I've had with him crossing paths with him, he's always been and tremendously respectful and you know he loves the game and I love watching him play basketball I think people kind of give him shit because he knows how to use the rules better than most people he knows how to draw fouls he knows how to do stuff that you know if you're an observer watching you might think is you know boring or whatever but for me I'm a basketball purist so get buckets however if you if you can take advantage of, of, of anything or any loopholes in the rules or whatever go out there and do that and obviously referees are human beings they're susceptible to being tricks there are tricks of the trade that we've all learned as hoopers coming up to kind of take advantage of the game and of the systems in place so for me Harden Harden is that dude I'm excited to see him it feels like he's willing to take a little bit of a back seat with KD and Kyrie because they're both champions already and he wants to get that ring so I can never fault the guy for wanting to you know, put himself in the best position possible to win a championship amen very well said you clown a lot of guys in the league and obviously as I you said if something comes if something comes to public knowledge you're gonna make a meme about it and it's hysterical and we all laugh it's literally just like it's like the town forum it just gets passed around and and you make a smile every day but there's probably a lot of guys that are getting posterized by you know memes across not only just by you but are, are there any guys uh, that are super sensitive about what you do I think I try to always be respectful and I come from a more, but I, you know, I played basketball, I played at UCLA and we're, we're in the locker room and we're all joking and clowning around. That's kind of 
where I'll keep it at. I'll never really try to deliberately attack a guy or be mean-spirited. Everything is pretty much always reactionary to whatever's going on. But, of course, I think nobody likes to see themselves memefied or whatever, you know, to find themselves on the wrong end of that. So I can only imagine, you know, if I did something, you know, everybody's joking about it or whatever, of course I'm going to take that personal. But nobody's really, you know, tried to pull up or throw hands or anything like that. And if that becomes a situation, and this is something I tell people that, that work in social, if you want to take shots and do all that shit, that's fine, but just be ready for when, when it comes back to you. You might cross paths with these dudes, and you got to be for, ready for whatever happens. So me personally, uh-huh. I'm ready for whatever happens. We got to throw hands. We got to do whatever. It is what it is. I, you know, I'm six seven. I, I, li- I look at the world a little no bit way. differently than a lot. Yeah, than, than most people. Really? So, you know, you know, but you know, it's, you know, a taller gentleman, but really, you know, a man of peace. But ultimately, if it comes down to whatever, you know, I'm, I'm about it. I'm an all conditions dude, so I'm down for whatever. That's amazing. I, I wanted to get to your time at UCLA as a basketball player because I did write that down in my notes. Um, you know, and, and growing up in Los Angeles, obviously it's a basketball city. In the early 80s, they had the Oakland Raiders, and all of a sudden you have not one but two NFL teams. Obviously, there is a larger contingency for the LA Rams, just given that fan base in St. Louis and how it moved over. Just some of the epic epic players that have played for those franchises Steven Jackson personally that I can think about I, I just I can't imagine how they feel right now it's such a losing franchise and now it's it's actually winning but it makes me wonder what Los Angeles football fans are all about what are some stereotypes that people see about them and what's one that you can set straight uh, people, I think they think in LA is fair weather fans, and it's tough because essentially what you get in LA, obviously it's Hollywood's entertainment industry. You get a lot of people that transplant themselves from all across the country and come here. So they'll start rooting and supporting for whatever you think about the Lakers or whatever it may be. I grew up a lifelong Raiders fan. I think the Raiders left like 95, 96. It hurt. You know, it hurt. So the Rams coming back, the Rams were, were never a threat to us as Los Angelinos because they were playing in Anaheim. So we didn't really have any, you know, any feelings or whatever towards the Rams. The Rams were just kind of there. So when they dipped to go to St. Louis, it was kind of like, who gives a shit? But, you know, the things they did, obviously the greatest show on turf and everything they were able to accomplish out there, you can't help but not be a fan of that. Marshall Falk, Kurt Warner, you know, that whole crew that they, they were getting going, just a bunch of legendary dudes. So I think for L.A., L.A. was super, super football hungry. And, you know, unfortunately because of the pandemic, haven't really got to enjoy SoFi Stadium. Definitely looking forward to it. Saw, you know, saw the construction of it for, you know, the years when they were putting it together. And I think there was just an anticipation and excitement, especially for the the city of Inglewood to really get revitalized and obviously with that there's kind of the fears of gentrification and things yes. like that but yep. but ultimately you know you you want to you want football in your city you want LA to be a place to really thrive and I know that stadium is going to be jumping not just for football games but for concerts I'm sure they'll get the the national championship game at some point yep. I'm sure they'll get the BCS championship game at some point so it's just going to be a great venue to turn up at and Inglewood is a city of champions representative of LA even though it's not technically LA LA, it's kind of its own shit, but yeah. we rock with Inglewood. We embrace it. I grew up right down the street from Inglewood, so I got nothing but love for the city and what they've been able to accomplish. You, you talking about gentrification? I, I want to just uh, you know I ask you like if you've seen any of that. And I remember when they were building the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, uh, there was a very similar sentiment about um, you know the city or the state uprooting uprooting families and replastering an area that was now going to be commercialized by. Uh, an arena and you know an identity of a basketball team do do you feel like there was or there is now 
now kind of still a, a negative feeling or sentiment about um you know the gentrification of englewood or is there a worry that it's I don't gonna get too white there. Like I, you know, definitely. You know, because it's. I mean, as you said, Englewood is the city of champions, and it's its own personality. And you know, Long Beach is not that far away. I'm, I'm sure that you know, Snoop Dogg has his own <laughs> opinions on it. But yeah, do you, are is there is there a worry over there at least for you know in the last year since it's been built? Yeah, definitely last four to five. I grew up in View Park, which is literally right on the border of Englewood. But View Park is one of the most affluent african-american communities in the country i want to say it's either top one or two but what you're even seeing now is with the the advent of silicon beach and kind of all all these companies that have now sprouted up is that there's been a huge shift in this community that used to be all black now you're seeing a lot more white faces like i don't you know i live in the valley now but when i go back to that side you know it's funny to me like we used to have a running joke like if you saw white people on the corner of Crenshaw and Slauson at night, you would roll the window down and tell them to get the fuck out, you know? But now it's become a thing where like, this is normal. You see white people walking dogs all in that area in the neighborhood, really moving into these areas, you know, neighborhoods getting changed to make their names more palatable to, to white investors and things like that. Like, you know, now it's like, you know, I grew up in View Park, Windsor Hills, but now we've got areas called Lower Windsor and, you know, these different places. And I have a really good friend of mine who I worked with for a long time who, uh, he moved to Lamert Park, which is a, you know, a region of LA. It's like where Moesha took place to just for a frame of reference for people who aren't familiar with Los Angeles. But he was posting photos and tagging Lamert Park. And I, for the longest was like, yo, you can't be serious. He must be like mistagging or whatever, but come to find out, you know, he's living in Lamert Park. So I think, you know, as people kind of, like I said, all these transplants, the influx of people kind of move here, they're looking for affordable places. Obviously Santa Monica, Beverly Hills, those spots are just ridiculously priced. Nobody really wants to, you know, you gotta be a big baller to live on those sides. So other areas of LA that are a little bit more economic, economically friendly become the kind of, you know, target destination. So I think all the black people that live in these neighborhoods, there's definitely a fear of just kind of their culture getting getting whitewashed and replaced, but also yeah. a respect for everybody coming in and for, for you know, property values and things like that, that, that continue to rise. But, you know, you have, it's, it's, a, it's a healthy balance. You have to definitely be respectful of the culture and, and embracing the places that you're coming into and respect them and not just try to, you know, get rid of it. Yeah. I'm thinking about, as I was mentioning, you know, down the street, Long Beach and uh, Willie McGinnis is the first person that comes to mind. I mean, he went to the same high school as Snoop Dogg and, uh, you know, they grew up together and obviously going to USC, which is pretty close by the pride of USC and joining the Patriots, becoming a three-time Super Bowl champion, working at my alma mater, your alma mater, as I found out that you worked for NFL Network for a couple of years. We just missed each other um, by maybe months or so. Um, Most famous or, you know, the the most famous proud, proud NFL player that grew up in LA, at least close to you, in your eyes. Uh, honestly, Willie is probably that dude. Willie represented, uh, you know, he just, honestly, for me, everything he's done football-wise, great, but I'm a big fan of players with curls, and Willie's curl was just always, you know, he had the West Coast curl just on lock, so even, I worked with him in the NFL Network, we crossed paths, and he went to SC, you know, I don't blame him for that, but Willie was also a dynamic basketball player, too, so he was kind of a legend on both sides, but we've had so many tremendous names that, that have come out of this city and, and gone on to do great stuff, you know, I think even back in the day with my 
my pops, like James Lofton was one of his good buddies. And, and you know, James went and played with the Bills and had, had a stellar career. And just, just, just a ton of great guys. You know, even those USC days uh, when I was in college, you know, with the Matt Liner, Reggie Bush, Lindell crew. And even though we're supposed to be rival schools or whatever, there was always a tremendous amount of respect for that team and what they were able to accomplish. And, you know, people kind of give me shit sometimes. When my family grew up in L.A., my family was UCLA basketball fans and USC football fans. And I don't root against UCLA in anything. So UCLA football plays SC. I want UCLA to win. But I'm not the type of fan that's like, oh, man, I hope SC loses every game. I think that's, yeah. that's not, that doesn't reflect well on our city and on L.A. I, I would much rather prefer both teams be undefeated when they meet each other in the Battle of L.A. So I'll always root for SC when they're not playing UCLA. And just for the city at large, you know, I think we go – we get a lot of disrespect from, like, the SEC and other conferences. But, you know, generally when those situations come up, we're always ready to throw hands and do what we need to do. First of all, there was a day when I was covering the USC and UCLA pro days back when Adoree Jackson was at USC and it was Juju and then um, a, a couple of players I can't uh, – off the top of my head, a couple of offensive linemen, tight ends. I remember I broke a story about uh, – oh, Fabian Moreau. Fabian Moreau, um, cornerback for UCLA, and he was doing his pro day um, bench practice and he tore his pectoral muscle like in his shoulder yeah. <laughs> you know it just I mean it just goes to show like you know how, how stupid that is like why is a cornerback pushing for eight reps of 250 anyways right. beautiful campus I uh, that long story short the campus at UCLA trumps USC a thousand times over so that's an easy one know, I know, exactly. That's super easy. Uh, you talked about Willie McGinnis being an all-star basketball player. And, you know, transitioning back into the Super Bowl, it is Super Bowl week, Super Bowl 55. We've got Tom Brady. We've got Patrick Mahomes. Pat Mahomes' dad played for the Mets many years ago. So, I mean, you got – this is more or less the storyline of the century. A lot of people are saying that this is going to be the matchup that we will be looking back 20, 30 years uh, apparently, it's supposed to be 75 and raining the entire time on Sunday, which is not going to bode well for everyone's bets that they've already placed. But that being said, uh, we're talking about Tom Brady and we're talking about Michael Jordan and Brady obviously having the opportunity to get that seventh ring more than any NFL franchise and personally to be leaving a franchise and going to get another ring. And he had this discussion about the respect that he had for a guy like Michael Jordan. Is Tom Brady versus Michael Jordan a tangible conversation? Is it is it a tangible discussion? I don't think. I mean, in my head on that, I'm like, I'm like, guys, I know that we want to do these storylines, but like, are we really pushing on this one? Like, I don't get it. I don't think you can compare a football ring and a basketball ring. I would, I would argue that football rings are a lot tougher. You're talking about, you know, 22 guys that need to all be locked in, just more players, you know, more, more risk for injury. So what Brady's been able to accomplish. Playing at age 43, you know, what is this, his 10th Super Bowl, looking for his seventh ring. I, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go, it's not apples apples in that situation. Like, you know, Jordan's six rings are remarkable and, you know, obviously tremendous amount of respect for him and everything he did for the NBA, but Brady's six rings are legendary. And if he can win one after dipping from the Patriots as this kind of, you know, and you're a Boston fan, you know, but it, 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 nobody expected, you know, we expected him to play well, but nobody expected this squad to go to Tampa and be in the, competing in for the Super Bowl, playing in their home city. Like, he literally got a home game, you know, which I think is probably the, the equalizer that may give them a chance to get the Chiefs. I'm a big Mahomes guy. I'm a big fan of Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, and what the Chiefs have been able to accomplish these past couple of years. 
So I think, you know, just the fact that Brady was able to get there, even win or lose, no matter what happens, his legacy cemented. And I feel like if he does win, he's got to ride off in the sunset. You're not really going to ever be able to really recapture that again. You know, don't don't be like MJ. Don't come back. You're already watching old, you know, an old man. They're all cracking jokes. So I'm in the locker room now. Old man Brady and everything. So if he wins, man, shut it down. You know, ride off into the sunset. Great career with seven rings. I don't think that will ever be matched. I, it's remarkable that you say that, and I have so many different things. Because anytime you talk about football, it's like your basketball. It's like you just all, all of the, the everything in my frontal cortex just starts to light up like a Christmas tree <laughs> around everywhere. Um, talking about Brady um, having the ability, and I, I had a hot take this week, and it's so crazy. New England fans, every time they talk about Tom Brady, or every time they talk about the current state of the Patriots, it's like they need a tissue, okay? And and I, I came out with this just kind of like a bold take. And I'm pretty sure I'm not discrediting or doing anything. I'm not going to be Danny Amendola and, you know, soil everything that Bill Belichick has done with Brady over the last 20 years. But uh, in terms of Brady winning the Super Bowl, say, leaving on the terms that he did, the fact that he just picked a team with the worst record in all of the NFL and said, hey, guys, you want to go to the Super Bowl? I think that he has the upper hand over Bill forever. Do you agree or disagree? He's stunned on Bill right now, I think. And that's the funny thing. You never, Whenever you have these these great coach and player duos, it's like I think Belichick got a lot. Of, you know, obviously that those Patriots squads, you know, performed at the highest level with, you know, you're talking about who's the best receivers that come through other than like Randy Moss and that crew, you know, other than, you know, but you're just looking at, you know, didn't have all the best resources, converted guys like Wes Welker and, and just, you know, Amendola and players like that, Julian Edelman, and made these dudes, you know, literally stars in the league. But yeah, for me, if Brady – does that Brady can forever stun on Belichick because he's like I didn't I can do the same shit with Bruce Arians bro I, didn't, I don't need yeah. you like you know what I mean so it's just a, it's a great position for him to be in it is sad that you never like to see those those type of relationships in that way but you know one of them is the Super Bowl and one's them at the crib watching so yeah, I, and I've I've always said that Brady, in the way that he has done, obviously he has uh, an all-star cast. And, you know, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what Chris Godwin and Mike Evans can do just compared against the Chiefs. And the Chiefs have the speed, but don't discredit everything that the Bucs have put together. But I, I think what makes it more remarkable about this season is that Brady threw 40 touchdowns. His arm strength got better. He had his highest percentage over 20 yards passing. I mean, the accuracy got better and that's the problem that I have with all these current and former players it's like don't bite the hand that feeds you like uh, Brady was the one that made you better and the way that Brady's making everyone better now and adapting that team first mentality that Belichick had a really great way of steadying the locker room and make sure that locker room uh, you know did not go out of hand and kind of keeping things under wraps which this year we obviously know that um, things got a little out of control in terms of his relationship with the media and why his frustration levels but um uh, it, it's it, in the way that Brady has kind of um just made everyone around and I don't know again I don't I don't know if there's anyone um in the NFL as a quarterback that you could compare to that elevated his teammates the way that Brady has 
Yeah, no, I mean, look, Tom. Tom is the man. Tom. Tom transcends everything. He's just a, a certified legend. He's a guy that even if you hate the teams that he's on, you're gonna still root and support him just because the way he plays the game, how hard he plays. Obviously, being a sixth, seventh round pick, you know, coming in, we all look at the old draft photo back in the day from uh, the combine. But just you know, looking at this guy, yeah. looking at his, you know, but just seeing the way that he's been able to overcome the odds and become literally. You're talking about. I think it's just a lesson for kids out there. You know, Michael Jordan came in the NBA. Everybody knew Michael Jordan was going to be the man. Brady came into the NFL, and it was, you know, he could have been out of the league in a couple years, and nobody would have thought twice about it. So for him to be able to do this for this long, 10 Super Bowls, what else can you say about the dude? He, he He's a living legend. I don't think that he's going to retire anytime soon. I've always said that I think he's going to retire at 47, but have you have you seen the way that he's just marveling at his face that looks like a baby? Uh, I mean, yeah. whatever he's doing, obviously extracurricular activities, facials, lasers, I mean, whatever. You know that Tom cares about his appearance, but the way that he's marveling at himself in, in these Zoom calls and taking pictures, it just, it's it makes you think he's going to want to play for a lot longer and he kind of alluded to that moving on to like a couple other topics of the super bowl is do you were you like a big detroit pistons guy bad boys of detroit do you like kind of the rough and tough fighters and i'm asking this question is like do you have sympathy for an nfl mercenary like indomitian and sue uh, and made billions of dollars, jillions and jillions of dollars in Detroit and jillions of dollars in Miami. And then three years later, boom, just picks it. Uh, he's back in the Super Bowl. Like, do you have sympathy for the bad guys? I rock with Indominus. I know he's had obviously some 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 unfavorable things in his career, but I think I, I root in support for all guys and all guys playing at the level they can do, you know play it. It's football. These guys are beasts. You're asking them to go, you know, go to war every day, basically, you know, you know, bang bodies with people 70, 80 times a game and not, you know, and be all right up there. It's not, it doesn't, it doesn't really work like that. Like these dudes are literally like trained to go destroy people. That's kind of the way. And, you know, we, we both worked at the NFL. There was definitely a shift. I think obviously once all the CTE stuff and all that stuff started coming out. Cause I remember back in the day when I was in the NFL, it was like, we wanted big hits, you know, you wanted all the big plays and that's, that's what was really selling the game. Then it was like, oh, right, we can't show that. We can't show this. We can only show penalties. You know, if it's a, a part of the storyline for the game and it kind of went away from that, but those guys mentality hasn't changed obviously the rules have changed they've had to adjust but these dudes are still going out there every day and you know it, and for lack of a better word it's kill or be killed like you know these guys are trying to take each other's heads off and that's just the nature of this sport so it's tough to ask gladiators to kind of to, to comment and tone it down but i think a guy like sue sue's definitely a dude who i mean i'm happy for everybody i'm happy for you know guys on the chief side guys on the buck side just to get to that level and play in a Super Bowl. I, I, you know, I worked in the NFL for a number of years and just that whole week and what it means and just those games. And, you know, it's funny. I think the, I, I was there, I was working for NFL in 2009. I want to say the last time that the game was in Tampa. And just to be a part of that whole field and Mystique was one of the greatest experiences of my life. So I can only imagine as a player what it's like you spent your whole life to get to this moment and now you're able to go do it. It's remarkable. I was going to ask you if you had ever experienced any Super Bowl media, you know, Super Bowl media night that whole frenzy but clearly you just answered my question what did you do at nfl network uh, i did a little bit of everything i started there as a production assistant in 2005 by the time i finished i was a supervising producer but worked on pretty much every studio show total access we had coach speak point after around the what was it around the league um around every NFL, yeah yeah around the nfl draft drafts you know i was there from the old school days with Schefter. you know before he defected and went to espn but 
pretty much did a little bit of everything, man. That, that place is really where I grew up as a creative and as a producer. So I'm so thankful of being able to work with people like Rich Eisen and everybody behind the scenes, all the incredibly talented producers and directors and everybody I got to work with was, was truly awesome and amazing. Uh, that's that's incredible. And I'm, I'm actually almost sad. I mean, I'm not I'm actually not sad. I'm, I'm happy that it transformed you the way that, you know, and now I get to meet you at, at this echelon and everything that you're doing and writing behind the scenes and and everything you did at Comedy Central. Legend of chamber the legends of chamberlain heights um two seasons with that and then i mean the the cast and characters of of who you worked with uh, quinn hawking and tiffany haddish and erica badu um what's more impressive is it um you know working with uh some of your childhood heroes and some of the gladiators and megatrons of of the gridiron um and, you know and the rich eisens of the world or is it really the culture vultures like Tiffany uh, Haddish and, ba- and Erica Badu. Uh, working with Badu probably was a, a you know the, the the hype you know just listening to her music as, as when I was growing up and just how much respect I have for her. But just that team on Legends, we had so many people behind the scenes. Our producers, Michael Starberry, who's still a close friend of mine, who you know was nominated for an Emmy for When They See Us with Ava DuVernay. Uh, Carl Jones, who worked on the Boondocks and is just an icon in the animated space. Just just being in those writers' rooms around that crew and you know having Badu being on music calls with Badu and That's hearing crazy. original music she's making for your TV show and just how, um, you know, the creative process and just how amazing she is. But Tiffany Haddish, again, we got her. She was pretty much right on her ascension to just superstardom at that point. But Tiffany coming in and just, you know, just seeing how down to earth and how real and how cool everybody is. I think, you know, Hollywood has a real negative connotation where you think people act a certain way or whatever. But, you know, at the highest level, you know, superstars, people like that, they're just really great and a pleasure to work with because they have so much respect for the process and just everybody else's job. So that was a great crew. Definitely miss working with that crew but definitely happy with everything i've done beyond that but looking back on that show i'm kind of sad at times just wishing it didn't go longer we were we were right before nba twitter kind of exploded and i think if that show ran now it'd be a no-brainer obviously i'm at a different level socially than i was back then and just understanding the game and just how to approach and attack everything but great experience helped make me who i am and i've gone on to do a lot 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 cooler shit and a lot better stuff so want to keep that train rolling and keep these bags coming in i I know that you guys had somewhat of a and i do you feel like nostradamus with the episode that um unfortunately you had to kind of make a correction about kobe and you know his love for helicopters and i think everyone can kind of assume what went from there but um is is has there ever been a moment that you feel like during that show process like you really push the limit like Chappelle show like when I go back and watch those Chappelle show uh the black white supremacist was the first episode I mean uh, he pushed the limits with a bulldozer if that um the office was another show people many people say if the office was here nowadays it wouldn't be um you know wouldn't be politically correct people would be outraged and do you have did you feel like what uh, were you what were those brainstorming rooms like like were you able to push the envelope I think, I mean, look, you're, you're talking about a, a network, Comedy Central, South Park, Chappelle Show, yeah, shows yeah, that yeah. essentially they did that. And I think, obviously, we, we try to follow that 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 same lane and everything kind of was done from an animated, you know, humorous perspective. We never would wish any of that type of, you know, the show is not real life. So, yeah. you know, when you talk about that room and obviously there was unfortunate events that happened and when those situations happen, you just have to step up and be an adult about it and, and just apologize. And, you know, that's not anything we would ever wish on any human being. I think, you know, the show was just a 
show. When you talk about South Park, you know, they kill Kenny every episode. I don't yeah. think there would be, you know, in real life, anybody would want Kenny, you know, Kenny to, to, to experience any of the things he experienced on that show. But you know, it's just a part of the game. And obviously it's a part of growth. Like I'm not the same way in 2015, 2016, when we wrote those episodes and I am in 2021. So just a part of growth. And, you know, you apologize and move on and kind of just, you know, keep it pushing. Can't leave it on a bad note. I didn't mean to have you like make a public apology for that. I was just more so thinking about Comedy Central and Chappelle show and uh, just uh, everything that goes. All right. Uh, just I, I need to need to get your Super Bowl prediction. And I wanted to ask you one last question before you go. You know, it's remarkable that Eric Bieniemy from the Kansas City Chiefs is not a hedge coach of the NFL. Um, once again, passed over. It's really just a big talking point of um, how underrepresented, woefully unrepresented NFL head coaches, black coaches are in the NFL. Personally, I think that Andy Reid, after the next couple of years, is going to retire. So the uh, enemy is kind of there at the forefront and hopefully um, would be able to be granted a, a head coaching job. But, uh, you know, I think, do, do, what do you think about this storyline, the underrated storyline of the Super Bowl? is that's Not only the enemy, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that Byron Leftwich, Todd Bowles, Keith Armstrong, and Harold Goodwin all of their assistant coaches, uh, special teams, offense, defense, all black coaches. How do we how do we make sure that this really integrate diversity into the NFL that it's had a problem with that for years? I think, uh, you know, it, it's embarrassing at this point. And obviously, I worked for the NFL a number of years. I've been very outspoken on social, kind of with my feelings. Like, you know, every single year feels like the same bullshit. Uh, you know, being to me, what, back-to-back Super Bowls, you know, coaching some of the most prolific offenses everywhere, and the stigma becomes, uh, he doesn't interview well, or he doesn't call plays. And then you see all the coaches that are hired that don't interview well and don't call plays, and they all start, they look a certain way. But the coaches, you know, being me, can't get a chance. Byron left, which I guarantee you, Byron left, which skin was a little bit lighter, he would have fucking had numerous head coaching opportunities everybody would have talked about what a Savani was and what a great, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, you know, but it's just, it's just the way it breaks down for, but for me, it's sad to see that everybody's like, well, you guys are always making it about race. And it's like, well, that's what it's about. The numbers are pretty yeah. fucking staggering. And the fact that the league is 70% black and what, what's the coaching like three to 5%, it doesn't fucking make any sense. You're talking to me, the guys that get the most training, 70%, of the workforce that's getting the most experience, the most training, but it doesn't translate to them being coaches. And you just see kind of the BS that's made, not to disrespect, you know, the Patriots, but Matt Patricia gets the uh, the Lions job because, oh, he's a Belichick disciple, but everybody knows Belichick runs that shit. Everybody knows, you know what I mean? But that's fine. But when Eric Bieniemy, oh, well, Andy Reid is the one who does everything. But, you know, Andy Reid, Bruce Arians, and shout out to Bruce Arians. I think he's been a tremendous ally, been very, very vocal and outspoken yeah. about this. And he's in the Super Bowl. So at the end of the day, that's what we're talking about. A lot of these teams that want to, you know, hire these other guys and no disrespect to them because I'm not super familiar with all their resumes. But I know a lot of guys that were hired didn't call plays. You know, we're seeing things now where they're giving press conferences. They're fucking mumbling and stumbling. It's like, you're telling me this guy interviewed good? Like, you can't even fucking put a coherent sentence together. I know who you're talking about. It's Adam Gase. I mean, the the fact that Adam Gase, uh, you know, interviews as well as he did as a crackhead with his eyes wide open. Um, You know, you don't even, you don't even need tweezers to pull his eyelids down. It's it's absolutely embarrassing and hopefully some part of the league is continuing to change the diversity that's going to change and um, just kind of the the open voices and the Black Lives Matter movement that is nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize what's one thing that you really feel like the NFL should adopt so that we are doing better? I mean you say Rooney Rule whatever I think all that stuff is yeah, bullshit it's all, bullshit. it's all performative talk. Like, oh we interviewed a black okay great 
like, oh, we knocked that one out. Now let's go hire the coach we want. It's, just give me a – I think, you know, there's not a rule or whatever. I, I know there's there's been – you know, I know teams that hire minorities get additional draft picks or whatever. It's just – it's all garbage. The fact that you have to do that is really pointing out that there's a, a serious problem. And it's not just football. It's America in general. And I think black people in this country have kind of been shitted on for so long, marginalized, you know, underappreciated, and yet we still thrive and persist. And I think especially during Black History Month, you're looking at the Super Bowl – you know, black, black, you know, black offensive coordinator on both sides. It's, it, but they don't, oh, but they don't do this. They don't do that. Really, it's the other guys. Well, that's fucking every team. You can tell me yeah. everybody's hiring all these Sean McVay disciples as if they're Sean McVay. That's, there's only one Sean McVay just because you work there. Like, because I went to UCLA, that doesn't fucking make me John Wooden. So, I mean, you know what I mean? It's just, but that's, that's the way that, oh, well, he, he, he went, you know what I mean? But it, it's just, it's just, I just would wish the BS would stop. But I also know that, you know, other than like performative black squares or putting some shit underneath the goalposts or whatever, that's really as much as we can hope to expect. And you can't really have this when guys are acting one way, but they're supporting, you know, people that support Nazis and capital insurrections and things like that. When they're literally committing to those, to those, you know, campaign funds, that's, they can say whatever the fuck they want. The, the, the proof is in the money. And, you know, I, to, the, to their credit, owners have done a better job of putting money where their mouth is and supporting initiatives that benefit minorities and underserved communities. But for me, they have a shitload of money. They can do a lot more. And that's just what yeah. it is. That was, you know, spoken from the heart and with passion. And like, I, I agree with everything that you're saying. And um, it's just, it's funny that working for NFL Network and, you know, as you did too, it's like, well, like who convenes at 345 Park? It's like, it's like the, the, the 1776 presidents that are signing the, the Constitution of the United States. You know what I'm saying? white 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 even more white you know so uh, until that there is changes to the faces inside the league office that have more prominent roles that have outspoken voices i feel like that's when we're going to be seeing the change king josiah johnson what are you what are you up to what are you doing what do you want to plug and who's your super bowl winner uh, just follow me, King Josiah fifty four on social. Watch out of pocket on uh, buckets. We're generally after big Lakers games. We air, and uh, uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Brady just because I want to see him go out. You know, I like, I like, I like happy endings. I agree. I think that the Bucs are going to take this home. I think that there is no way that Brady walks off that field on Sunday night without his seventh ring and to cement his legacy. And to, Patrick Mahomes, he's got many more years in this league. Um, it's a very bright future, especially given that offense. Thanks for joining my show. This was super fun. Super fun. Super informative. You're great. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Wow, two days away from Super Bowl 55. If you're listening to this, obviously you're listening Friday morning. Hopefully we get a better sense of what the weather is going to look like down in Tampa Bay because, I mean, for this next show that you're going about to listen to with my guy Anthony Servino and Rob Ninkovich. Anthony, of course, he works at the game day. He is the prop king. He lives in Atlanta City, New Jersey. So he is all over these gambling bets. I mean, a lot of people could lose a lot of money on Sunday if it's 75 and torrentially downpouring and they cannot score and put the ball in the end zone. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I don't know. If you haven't played some bets yet, I I almost wonder if you, if you guys should actually kind of hold out. All right. That's the show that we got today. We'll see you tomorrow.
green seagull turn a deeper blue. I could not foresee this thing happening to me.